Woo! Another day. Oh man, yeah. Listening to that uh <coughs> King of the Sting album again. Man, that's good. That's good. Gets me pumped up before the before the little chat here. Yep. But anyways. <coughs> Man, another day. Another day, another year. It's a new year. <sighs> and a lot's been going on already. But I'm not gonna talk about any of it. I feel like there's a ringing. I can't tell if it's in the audio or if that's just in my ears. Hopefully it's fucking just tinnitus and not uh not bad audio. <laughs> uh <coughs> anyways, let's see y'all. Uh, what did I want to do today? Oh, I wanted to try. Yeah, I've been, I guess, uh, doing a lot of the Kohogan fights at the fence. But uh, there was a lot of UFC, a lot of MMA going on, but we're on that little break. Uh, so for this Pokemon Salon, uh, I'm going to try reading some stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> there we go. I hope that wasn't too painful. Uh, uh, reading some things that I've written and uh, maybe talk about them. I really probably should have planned this out better, but nah, fuck it. Let's let's wing it. As <laughs> that reminds me of a story, a story of a girl, no, of uh, when I was in the Philippines. On R and R, so I did a, a deployment there down in Southern Mindanao. Uh, but we got uh, I think like four days of R and R rest and relaxation somewhere in the middle or towards the end. And me, let's see, and well, two so two of my buddies, we uh, they were at different team sites than me, but uh, I think I think they were on the same team. I'm not gonna say their names. I know one of them won't care. I'm pretty sure. But I haven't asked them. Uh, fuck. I should have thought. I always fuck this up. I should have thought of um, the things from before. But e either way, uh, the whole point of that was uh, just saying there was a part. Damn it. Yeah. Fucking think in circles. This is this is painful for me. So I can only imagine what it feels like trying to listen to this uh, to noodle out. My own fucking thoughts. Uh, but anyway, so we, we go on R&R &R in Manila. And we, we um, what do you call it, uh, reserved uh, a hotel. But it, w it was more like an apartment suite. So, I mean, so <laughs> there's other thing too. So the deployment we were on, it, it's a, um, uh, a certain kind of deployment w where they're well-funded. And so we're making fucking crazy good money. We're getting like, I don't know if it's tacky to say, so I'm not going to say how much money we were making. But And it's also tax-free because you're in a combat zone. So we're getting fucking tax-free money. And it, how old was I? I don't know. I was like 26 maybe. Nah, uh, maybe 28. Somewhere between 26 and 28. And, uh. I think I just picked up sergeant too, so I wasn't too young, but I was still fucking young. Uh, but yeah, so we're making just stupid, crazy money, 
and uh, so we rent, a- and also it's the Philippines, so it's so things are a lot cheaper than they are in the states. So we're in Manila, and we're in Makati. I can't remember exactly the area we're in, but so we rent out this. It's a three a three bedroom apartment basically. It's huge. Uh, it's bigger. Uh, I mean, there was more square footage than the house that I live in. <laughs> right now um but it w- so it was nice so y- you know you has like a big old <sighs> what do you call it you know like i don't know i've never been to rich people's houses before i haven't like actual rich people but um so you you know y- they have like you walk up and it has like the, the driveway where the valets are and a doorman and then you come in and they have the like concierge or whatever the people at the front desk where it's like a little front area and there's a whole like you know fancy foyer or or whatever the entrance way is and then you take an elevator up to our own floor so the elevator goes to our own floor Uh, actually i think there's three apartments on our floor so it's basically a private elevator for those three apartments and then uh, we go in the apartment the apartment's huge like huge living room dining room had a uh, kitchen and then the three bedrooms and a uh, bathroom, it's a huge bathroom. <coughs> so we get there and it turns out that the week, like our four days had gotten scheduled during fucking Holy Week. I think it was like around Easter because, you know, the, uh, Northern Philippines is uh, like super Catholic. So we get there because we're, so, cause so we have to take a chopper from our, um, team site to this little airport and then a little airport to another airport. And then it's like, it's like three or four legs to get to where we're going. Then we get in a cab and then the cab's taking us to our, uh, um, what do you call it? Our, to our apartment and we're driving and it's like all the stores are shut down. They're like, there's nothing going on. And we're asking the cab driver, um, like where to, he's like, oh, we're trying to, you know, go out and party and whatnot. Where do we go? And he's like, oh, sorry, uh, it's, you know, Holy Week. So things are going to be kind of shut down. There's not a lot going on. We're like, fuck. Cause like we had been planning this for months. I think even before we even deployed, like part of our, uh, during pre-deployment training, like when we're sitting out in the fucking field, just, <coughs> so we're in Hawaii. So, you know, we're just like sitting in the, in the. <coughs> either the jungle or by the beach, uh, <laughs> catching scorpions, eating MREs, um, and we're we're planning out what we wanted to do for R and R. And originally our plan was we were gonna go to uh, there's this fucking crazy ass hotel in damn it, uh, Cebu. I can't remember where it is, but so it's this hotel and you could rent. We could rent out the entire. Uh, penthouse and there's a helicopter in the top and it'll fly you around <laughs> it's like tens of thousands i think it was like less than 10 grand to it would have cost us less than 10 grand but b- between the three of us with the money that we're making it would we would have swung it easy but anyways our plan was this we're gonna fucking ball out and get this penthouse and then have this helicopter fly us around <laughs> and shit but our OIC, it's our uh, uh, officer in charge. He's like, he's a captain. <sighs> he, this guy, 
I, I was gonna say he's a fucking douche, but uh, and I, I say he's a douche because he the main thing is he's he's a hypocrite and he's also an idiot. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get into that. So I feel like I should qualify it. I'm calling him a douche, which is obviously it's my personal opinion, but it was also the opinion of the entire detachment and uh, the opinion of the command. Eventually, that he got relieved of command, but uh, for toxic environment or some shit like that, toxic command or something. It was after I left. But um, oh, and <laughs> this dude, he actually, he uh. What do you call it? He, is he, so he schedules the R&R. So for the R&R, we had to apply for our, our like, battle buddy group or whatever. Be like, hey, these are the dudes I want to go on R&R with. So it had to be approved through him, and he had the final say. This motherfucker, he knew, so me and my two buddies, he knew we were going to, the three of us, we, we were going to fucking go the hardest. We, we were going to party hard. So he put himself on our in our um, R&R group, not to, ooh, excuse me, not to uh, monitor us or whatever, because he wanted to fucking party too. And he, like during pre-deployment training, he was such a douche about, I mean, I'm like everything, you know, is already kind of strict or stupid. Or there's, I don't, there's no way to explain it unless you've experienced, like just little stupid shit, like setting up your fucking, uh, uh, f- you know, y- like your flak jacket, like your all your gear, like the way, like where everything on your, f- like where your grenade pouches go, where your magazines are supposed to go, where your uh, drop, uh, not drop box, <laughs> drop bag for your fucking magazines and shit. Like just the way your, all that shit is set up. Our OIC, he set up and he's like, all right, everyone's just going to look exactly like mine. So it's like you have to set it up exactly like the same way as his. And if, y- you know, if yours isn't, then you're, you're, oh, you're out of uniform. He, we had so many people get dropped off our, deta- our, um, our, yeah, our detachment before the deployment, like during deployment training. There were so many fucking NJPs, which is a Article 15 or a, a basically like a, a military punishment. It's like when you. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's mil- military punishment. It's like it's like an official scold. Not s- it's more than a scolding. It's like because you, you can you can lose money, you can lose rank, you can get put on restriction. Uh, it can be like the precursor. You can get NJP'd and then, uh, or you, you can. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a precursor before like a uh, court martial. So it's like a step below court martial, but it's it's the w- most widely used, uh, like. You know, enforcement or uh, what's the word? Not enforcement. Uh, punitive tool used in the in the military, at least in the Marine Corps for sure. Then <laughs> page eleven, <laughs> uniform restriction. Those are like kind of unofficial ones. Those are those are scoldings. But so NJPs are like actual serious because you can lose money, you can lose uh, your freedom. <coughs> but uh, w- so we had to we had one kid. He was talking shit about our OIC because <laughs> we're at the range, and I can't. There was something stupid about what we were doing at the range. I can't remember exactly what it was, but this kid, he was. He said something. He was like, "Oh man, fucking Captain So So and such a faggot." 
Yeah, rude, harsh, harsh word. But also, it's you know during the time when w- using that word, it wasn't meant to be homophobic against. It was just people just said it too. I was like, it's stupid. But uh, but I get I'm not saying it to justify it or whatever. I get it. it's offensive. But uh, I'm quoting what this kid said. So uh, he says that, and another one of the officers, some fucking lieutenant fucking boot tent at her overheard him say it and went and snitched and the kid got njp'd and kicked off the detachment so he didn't get to deploy with us and it was just there was all kinds of stupid shit like that during um called pcts or pre-deployment training all the you know when you're all the all the shit we do to get ready it's like fucking like a six month period uh training period before you deploy where you go you get all your certs and all your do all your um like go like what do we do? Movop? No, no, not Movop. That's the dude with DV license. Uh, but we, yeah, we had people do Movops, um, so that we could drive vehicle, get licensed to drive the vehicle, like the seven tons and the uh, all the Humvees, all the way, th- you know, the softback ones, all the way through the up armored ones, and then we do the AMRAP training. It's like the uh, uh, like the what is it? The big ass. Fuck, what are the MRAPs at for? But they're the big armored vehicles. So you do a shit where you simulate, like, if you get blown up by an ID or you fucking <laughs> roll your MRAP into a ditch like some dudes did. But, uh, <laughs> but, so you, it's basically, you're in there and they fucking roll the thing over and like, rolling, rolling, rolling. And you, um, <laughs> makes me think of Limp Bizkit, rolling, rolling. But, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, sorry about that. Try not to do that shit. So you're and you're in the the simulator thing where it's it's like the shell of a uh, armored vehicle and it rolls over they roll it goes and rolls over you're like rolling rolling and you got to egress you got to get out of there do it like blacked out do it um, like if you're buckled in if you're not blah 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 do that we also do um, since we were because we were at the flying helos and we were on like for the team guys like us we were on island. So we flow over, fly over water uh, to get to our team sites, and we had, we did the helo dunker, which was pretty cool. <laughs> One of my buddies, he fuck hated water, hated swimming. Um, I'm dark green marine as well, but I mean I'm half Filipino, so I I can swim. But this kid, uh, fuck, I can't remember where he came from. But where he came from, he, he was an iron duck. Uh, Iron Ducks are the dudes that when you do your swim qual, uh, they drown. (laughs) They call them the Iron Ducks. They get pulled to the side to get remedial fucking uh, swim lessons, I guess would be the polite way to call it. But So yeah, the Iron Ducks, because they they fucking just swim. But this kid, so he was terrified of the water, and it was, so you're supposed to, so when the, so it's the same thing, it's like the a simulated fuselage it's like the hull of a a helo and you get in there you fuck got all your gear on you're strapped in and then they lower into the water i think i have some videos of it maybe i'll put them i'll put them up but they lower the um what do you call it the 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 helo the fuselage into the water you're supposed to wait until it goes all the way in and then it rolls because it rolls to the side and it rolls upside down, you know, to simulate. So when the helo hits the water, the fucking 
the top heavy, the uh, put the yeah, the blades, the propellers on the top, pull to the bottom. It shows a whole bunch of scary videos of, <laughs> of the shit where um, the training uh, came from, but maybe I'll get to that. But anyway, so uh, it hit the you're sitting in there, it hits the water, it rolls upside down, and you're supposed to wait until it's uh, completely upside down, and then you're in there, and you first you feel the person to the right, because there's uh, certain... Uh, like the, uh, what do you call it, the the window, emergency exits, like, you know, and same thing, like, when you get on the airplane, and you sit by the emergency exit, there's a, cause this is the thing I do, I'll, I, I try to sit in the emergency exit, because one, more leg room, and two, fucking did Hilo Dunker, and the fucking, uh, Amra- I can't remember what the fuck we call that one, the, the fucking shit where it rolls over training, so I'm like, out of all the people on this airplane, I feel like if anyone's gonna do it, it's, it can be me. And then also, you know, I get that extra leg room. Um, but anyway, so so you so there's different exits. Like there's one you uh, you can pop out the w- um, window, depending on the the helo design or the model. But you can pop out the window, or there's uh, you can open the door. But when you're in there, once you get in, when you first uh, board, you determine. W- by where you're sitting, who's gonna do what? So whoever's sitting next to that emergency window, you know that once the once you hit the water, it's that person's job to pop that out, and they're gonna crawl out that window. Um, so then, so when you hit the water, then you feel the person to your right or your left, whichever direction going towards the exit, and you feel them move. You like you unbuckle. You feel them move. You hold yourself to the seat. So then this is why you're in the water upside down. You feel them them scoot to either I'm gonna just keep saying the right. So they scoot to the right, you holding your seat and you scoot yourself over to the right. You feel them, then they scooch over to the right until you feel them then till they get to the window, you feel them flip and pop through the window, and then you scooch over, flip, pop through the window. The person next to you does that too. So it's you know, whole system, so everybody fucking gets out. But uh <laughs> I can't remember his name. My boy, oh, oh yeah, I do remember his name. Uh, um, uh, call him Little Tank Tank. So Little Tank Tank, he fucking hated the water, Iron Duck. But he was when we did the Hilo Dunk, he was the first person out every single time. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure I have a video of it. I'll have to f- uh, put it up. But it was like what it was before. It was like as soon as that that thing hit the water. And it, once it rolled over, he was out. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, we also probably wondering, like, oh, fuck, how do you just hang out underwater like that? For I forgot. We also, I think we, you do it without air, but then we also have, um, like, the little emergency little air tank things where I don't know how much air is in there. It's like a couple breaths at least. So you're under air and you have it and you can go... <sighs> And take a rest. So it's enough. It's not like a fucking scuba tank. It's like it's just like a little, uh, li- like an air horn almost. It looks like it's a little bit bigger than an air horn. But anyways, so back to R&R. Oh yeah, I was talking about that because the pre-deployment training. Uh, but yeah, so the oh I see he was a, co- a fucking douche the whole time, because he was like he's always trying to be cool, but then also trying to be a hard ass so it was just he was always just trying too hard it was 
Yeah, it was fucking obnoxious. He was n- not uh, genuine. He was not like a sincere. It, it, it was, it was, like I can I understand because I'm I've had um, trying to think of like OIC dudes that were hard asses, but no, I had m- more like senior enlisted dudes that were hard asses. But it was you could tell they that was just their pers- they, they were doing it because they be- believed in it. Fuck, man, how do I? What am I trying to say? It 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 seemed like everything that he did this OIC it seemed like everything he did was a performance. It was it was kind of like he was very aware that he was, you know, being watched, sort of thing. So it was kind of like he was performing or his uh, pageantry. Everything he did was pageantry. So it was like I said, insincere. Uh, and I don't know, just just that's just dishonest to me. I don't know. But anyways, sum it up, he was a douche. Uh, so then, on our, it was Holy Week. <coughs> so the whole, the, the whole town was looking dead. And we, we weren't the first on our group to go out. There was like uh, two or three. I think we were like the s- either the last group or the second to last group. So we heard everyone's fucking crazy ass story. And I, I've been to the Philippines before already, so I already knew that shit went down. But yeah, everyone else, we had... <laughs> <laughs> stories of um, <laughs> how wild it was. Like our s- staff NCIC, he fucking called him the. Um, I take credit for this. The he's a the blind baby mole rat because he was like this old leathery. He's bald, shaved his head bald. Old like <sighs> white man. I can't remember where he's from. Somewhere r- super country, and he uh. We're in the field once, and there were fucking boars. A bunch of boars ran by, and he's like, "Wosuie!" Like fucking <laughs> like a pig call. <laughs> Man, I, I can't remember he's from Alabama, Arkansas, some some shit like that. But, but anyways, he looked like he was super like he was bald. His front teeth were kind of big. He was super pink. Uh, he looked like a, a you know a blind baby mole rat. Uh, so this dude. One of the lance corporals, or corp- I think maybe he was a lance corporal. Um, what was that kid's name? Bob or some shit. I think everyone calls him Bob. But it, he, uh, I guess he had pictures of from their uh, from their R and R group. They're out at clubs and shit, and I guess <laughs> I mean all the uh, se- senior enlisted uh, guys were ma- are married. Were married. And I guess the kid had pictures of them, like, making out with chicks in the club or fucking, like, getting blowjobs in the club or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that after the, or not after the, after their R&R, like, it made him <laughs> give his fucking camera over so they could <laughs> delete all the pictures. Kind of like, um, what was that movie, Hangover at the end? They're like, all right, guys, we're going to, we're going to do one, look at these pictures one time and then we're deleting them. Never talking about this again. <coughs> but uh, but um, but um. So yeah, we <laughs> already heard all those stories. I already knew shit went down. W- w- could go down, like we were gonna party. Uh, but we get there, it's Holy Week. Like everything is shut down. So we check in uh, to our apartments. Apartments are fucking bomb. They're fly as fuck. It's it's 
they were fucking nice. Uh, so we get in there, we pick our rooms, we get settled in, like, all right, let's go. Um, figure out where the bars are and uh, get some drinks or whatever. So we go out and we're walking around. Everything's closed, walk, closed, closed. Everywhere we go, we're just walking, walking, trying to find shit. And then we find we go into uh, um, uh, I think like a Seven Eleven or something, and we go and we buy <laughs> we literally all the liquor that they have, which was like six bottles, um, like up above behind the counter or whatever. So we buy their six bottles of whatever liquor they had. Yeah, we walk back to the apartment, and we're like, "Fuck!" We're brainstorming. We're like, "Damn it!" We we're like, "Man, we we had such big plans." I was like, we're fucked, and we was like, we look at each other, and we're like, no, no, fuck this, we're not gonna be, we're not gonna be defeated by Holy Week, it's not gonna stop us, look at us, it's not gonna stop us, <laughs> so we started taking shots, started drinking, and we're like, you know what, fuck it, we're like, who, what's our plan, and we're like, wing it, just fucking wing it, and we're like, yeah, wing it, and then we started taking shots, we're like, fucking winging it, <laughs> and uh, so that became kind of our motto for the, uh, the R and R, and we went out and we found plenty of trouble to get into. Uh, and I f- feel like at the very beginning of this, there was kind of a point, a, a specific one that I was going to talk about, but I don't know. But yeah, so I said all of that just to <sighs> say that uh, yeah, I didn't make any notes for this. So I'm just going to wing it. Oh yeah, but I did want to. Excuse me read uh, some of my writings just to see how it goes because um, uh, as I'm going along I kind of I think this is like Hilgemon Salon episode 3 uh, and then there's four episodes of Kohugan Co- Co- fights check those out um, and uh, the last one, <laughs> I did like a, uh, a, f- a air quotes animation of uh, a story. So I think a thing I'm going to try to do is since uh, pretty much all these each of these episodes are about an hour, a little over an hour or so. Let's kind of use these little just fucking uh, like f- the full, you know episode quote-unquote episode <sighs> to just kind of talk things out and then i'm gonna c- start going back and cut cutting out clips uh of sections maybe sections where i string together a few uh coherent ideas um in a consistent manner and then and, and cut those out and, and and put out clips so just trying to use this as a i don't know my scratch paper uh <coughs> <coughs> uh, <coughs> mm, 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 
which <laughs> how's this one short let me try let's let's see how this one goes and also like i said i'm winging it i don't know if i may i just read it straight through and then talk about it maybe uh let's see so this one this this isn't the the hugging bon salon uh blog section under uh, short, I think it's called short stories ish. Ooh, excuse me, ASMR. Uh, but the yeah, so th I mean, in the blog section, so I have two sections. It's uh, it's one where it's my uh, what do you call it? More like uh, I guess like thoughts or opinions, and then kind of researched type writing and then also then the other ones um like just me uh, short stories or excerpts from writing process <coughs> but yeah so this is from the, the uh fiction excerpt five threads beginning whatever this one's called article 4.03 b i cut him i cut him shallow only the tip only the tip really skinny blade of a slowly curved even sloping 440 steel gave distinct pressure against the form-fitting denim it was an empty expression of a joke full of embarrassing honesty i cut him i cut him shallow the denim fibers drummed i really just jigged him a bit People seem to get prickly about pointing out a pinpoint in a prick. Red wine dregs and the Mario Puzo I read is how I got there, but my legs moving at double time in a history of pound puppery is what carried that evening a good bit further. <coughs> the sound of my feet crossing concrete, asphalt, grass, and stairs carried me along with some amount of dissatisfaction in the balance of what I saw to be loyalty and general decency between men and the descendants of people generally i'm sure a good portion was disgust in myself for binding myself to to this person being included in my experiences but i was certain of how i was going to discuss their next experience into existence it was the cliche straw being used as a reason to break his back in my mind it was hump day and my intention had already moved me past looking back at any obstacle that would only accelerate me faster towards one end the vintageness of the blade was not lost on me as I spotted it resting on the top of his mini-fridge. Mini-knife on a mini-fridge in the mini-room of a mini-man I called a pound puppy. I just spent some time tossing his room over like soil bedding of a disobedient pet. I had hurled insults and belongings around the room when my sight landed on the icebox, considering the effort it would take to toss it, measured against the effect it would lend to my words, all without considering all without consideration of outcomes outside of ogre algorithms. As I noted the small folding knife, I decided that it should not belong to anyone else, to anyone less than a human. It was not the property of a proper pet. In that moment, I did not consider myself a justified thief. So to own it, it would have to be a gift, and a gift must be given. I pointed at it, and I told him to give it to me. His eyes slanted, they then grew sharp then wide you know just like my intentions 
I repeated myself in a rhythm that was a repetition of the lack of appreciation I had for having to repeat myself. And one of the strangest acts complicit to acquiescence, he picked it up and handed it to me. I accepted the gift. I opened the gift. I gave him my gratitude. I felt that gratitude pass like a piece of my soul into my hand and fall across the blade, stumbling onto its tip. It passed through the threads of his jeans to lick the flesh of his leg, popping through the taut skin and sinews. I felt the snap of determined steel entering dermis. My soul touched his flesh as he yelped like a pup, touching me somewhere in my dogged heart. I cut him. I cut him shallow. The denim fibers drummed. Do I want to talk about what that is? Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, all I'll say is, so the title, Article 12.03D, is um, the article in, or it's like a statute. Um, what is that term? Yeah, having to do with a statute of limitations for assault with a deadly weapon so let's say that's what that story's about This one, uh, I think, oh, it was in, an, in the, one of the co-hosting fights I was talking. Oh, I was talking about Mason Fowler, and I was saying since Sincilia, because I, I, uh, I was talking about how I felt like he uh, was watching the way when he grapples. It's like he can, he feels where every part of his body is uh, in relation, and he can, he knows what's touching the ground, and he in relation to his opponent, he feels. Uh, everywhere, the position of his opponent, like where in relation to his body and on the mat, and how he's able to control <coughs> all, all those aspects. And I kept saying I felt like he was a spider and using scent sensilia, but it's slit sensilia. Sensilia. Yeah, slit sensilia. But it's these uh, little uh, micro slivers in their, I guess, in their exoskeleton where they're able to uh, feel the um, like pressure changes and so it just basically makes them, them sensitive to, to the air so it's not only just those hairs that are on their body where they can feel vibrations in the ground and in the, the um, spider webs they also can feel uh, uh, movement in the air through the, the slits and Sensilia, sensilla, sensilla, slit sensilla. But uh, that's the name of, whoopsie, whoopsie, of this one. Slit sensilla.
There was a face in the darkness, hovering over piles of bones. There was an image burned from the shadow cast by empty eye sockets. She was a beautiful maiden, innocent, only an effort, but nothing else. As guilty in circumstance as the rest. This melody dances through her mind as she inhales throats of smoke and whisks them back and forth, casting a haze over her gift. Regardless of its unfortunate penetrations into spectrums not experienced by the slow roaches that traipse about her. The Red Queen shuffles her cards. Blades upon fingernails. A click-clack symphony combined with the sound of a wet finger circling a wine glass rim. Finger-painted portraits of lies spent running from the end. The white handprints of ghosts outlined by the red lines of aged wines. Her fingers ache in anticipation as she grips the sticky green fibers of a dilapidated recliner. Her fingers strain to dance across the viscous static that sticks like silken webs cast from her mind into the whirlwinds of percussion whipping around the rocking skulls of the crowd as they undulate their bodies to the music. Her occupation feeds her addiction, and this is what she is here for. Addiction. No. Occupation. It's easy to get confused in the confusion of simpler minds, but bright, bright are her eyes, and that inkling of reflection guides her focus into the darkness. Her eyes spin in their sturdy calmness, tracking the gyrations of the room as she removes her silk shawl from where it has hung, draped around her neck. Her embodied cognition is most accurate when certain portions of her bare skin are exposed, and the darkness of the room helps to obscure the systemat- I fucked that up. <laughs> her embodied cognition is most accurate when certain portions of her bare skin are exposed, and the darkness of the room helps to obscure these symmetrical patches of skin. Although they only appear as rough spots, she is somewhat sensitive about their appearance, but covering them also allows her to manage the ever-present environmental inputs clamoring around her. For this same reason, she has developed a somewhat peculiar yet functional sense of fashion that has translated into functional entrepreneurial endeavors in clothing design. She's never quite so pleased as when she feeds, feels the hum of the Singer featherweight sewing machine, while the visions in her mind materialize as if from somewhere within her. The only feeling greater than that is when she is able to fully extend her mind and body, feeling as if she is tuning her flesh and joints in such a way that she is aligned with the harmony of frequencies bouncing around her surroundings. When she is in these moments, it is as if the world around her is speaking to only her. It is as if it is calling out to welcome all her many appetites and offer the comfort of being accepted for having them. The comfort of being accepted and sated. She is feeling that very thing as she discreetly adjusts her posture in the seat and gently removes each of her silk knee-high stockings. The tune of the room washes over her newly exposed skin. It's a boiling kettle on the verge of a steam-powered screen. She slowly sits forward, still gripping the velvety arms of the soft chair, adjusting her posture. Eyes closed, she sits poised upon her keen precipice. She imagines her judgment sliding up and down the walls as if tentacles, and any trepidation melts away as the song, only she can hear, tells her that everyone is too timid to evaluate anything more than themselves. She begins to feel pangs of disgust at how she finds different thirst quenched by this counterfeit ballet, but the melody of the word whispers, that's the dead part of you speaking.
She almost worries herself for a moment, but catches the bout of self-righteousness. There is no shame in being alive. The steam rising from her own breath into her nostrils brings her back to the flavor of her own flesh. The song moves her, and she springs into motion, grabbing the hand of a passerby. Everything in her mind shrinks to a pinpoint. His hand is full of weakness. She feels the grooves of the slivers in his palm and fingers. She feels each wrinkle like it is a dried leaf plucked from the wind. If only, if I only close my hand, it will turn him into rubble. He turns to her, smile on his lips and eyes. She smells his mirth like a lemon's mountain fragrance. He turns toward her, curling his lip in a self-conscious smile that she knows he thinks passes his confidence. She pulls him down towards her and leans into his neck, breathing deep. The sweat licks her nostrils. Perspiration tickles her lip. She takes a hand on his drink as she gently, gently presses her teeth on his neck. It is almost sad how easily she pulls a drink from his grasp as she trails the tip of her tongue just above the skin of his neck, not touching and imagining it as a silver blade creating beautiful red blossoms. She relishes the images of an entire garden of weeping willows whipping back and forth in a breeze of his pathetic woes. As she brings her eyes to his, she's almost disappointed as she recognizes what is there. Acquiescence. He may make the motions a struggle, but she can tell the fight is already over. The thrill of the pursuit is counterbalanced by the simplicity of the capture. She can feel him stumbling within his own mind, searching for words. She has spent her life trying to live against the exact exchange she verifies deepest in his eyes. She sees the exact fact he has been living to deny. As his lips articulate the lie, his mind strains to deny. He is weak. She can taste his weakness as clearly as sh she can see the reason the song has chosen him to come to her. As their shared gaze deepens, she feels for a moment as if he is able to feel her. It is as if she can feel him seeing her the way she feels the world when she hears its melody playing against her skin and pulsing inside of her. Did he hear the song? She is caught by surprise as he suddenly releases her hand. Although reeling from the confusion of her own thoughts, she feels the escape of his hand from hers and, and instinctively rises to press her lips to his. Dropping the glass, it shatters, sending shards of glass and sticky liquid against her bare feet. Ignoring this, she purse purses her lips, held against his and into a tender disgust, and for a moment is afraid he can taste her hate. Whether or not he recognizes the seething energy, his own song pushes him forward to accept it. Just like his resolve, his, his lips part. This is the tune strummed on the strings tied directly to his ability to create life. It's an autopoetic melody that is the white noise of all things rational. It's a mutual handshake that she sees him realize. As their eyes meet, her eyes smile. All deals end in dual sacrifice. She remembers why she does what she does, and his eyes fade away into darkness. Another face in the darkness covered in bones. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, I don't know. That one, uh, uh, that came from, uh, so I used to do a lot of free writing. Uh, I think that's what it's called, free thought or whatever, free form. I just sit and then kind of write whatever comes out of my head. 
<coughs> and there's a couple um, that I've done like that with. I don't, I don't like. I don't know where it's gonna end up. I just start writing, and then when I'm run out of energy, and I go back and read it. Like I don't even know what I wrote until I go back and read it. And there's a bunch of. I used to have notebooks. I don't know where I did with all of them. I used to have a bunch of notebooks with shite like that. Um, and this cam comes from one where I I, I tried to kind of corral it in. Um, how do I describe it? Because a lot of them, it's you know, it, it's uh, there's not a lot of structure. It's I mean, there's maybe a, somewhat of a theme. I'll have to find one and and, and read it so that it makes because uh, it's easier to I guess present it than to explain it. But anyways, th this is one of a few where I've tried to kind of <sighs> control it into a scene, I guess, if that makes sense. Because the other ones, they you know, they just go wherever my wherever my mind went. So th th this one started as trying to keep it contained to one specific scene, I guess, and then I've uh, kind of uh, trimmed it and revised it. Uh, over the years, more and more to to kind of get it to to what it is. So I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, or if I'm gonna do anything with it, and or if I'll just look at it as a you know practice. Uh, that I might incorporate it into another larger project or something like that. But yeah, so those two are from the short story is short stories ish uh, blog section of hugging bombs along that's the like the you know the fiction portion uh, well right now I'm so I'm looking at uh A free writing one where I just uh, start writing. Let's open up some books to uh, put them in. Oh, this one. This one should be quick. Hold on. This one I. I don't even remember when I wrote this. Is from a while ago, but. Like years ago, <coughs> uh, so it's just a free writing of. I just titled it. The first line is, <laughs> "Why do I love the taste of hate in my mouth?" Uh, so, like I said, yeah, I just started writing, and then uh, whenever I get to the next scene, but I'll, I'll just read it. So, if there's any examples, uh, yeah, I just go, just go. <coughs> Why do I love the taste of hate in my mouth? Because it's the perfect seasoning to pain and fatigue. As much hate as I can devour, even more misery I can force on myself. And the more sexy my own blood looks to me. I devour as much as I can stand to consume. Who knows my who knows my daily my total daily percentages? Anger or greed? I'm masking my tastes, my guilty pleasures. Guilty of what? Spinning in circles? I can't decide. 
I can't anything but go. Gliding across my gliding across my toes to float on that thing I call beauty. <coughs> that unicorn I chased in my youth and felt at times was nothing but the masochistic flow of life lived being life learned. We never know the end until it's over and then no one can say they know from experience that it's the end. The end is when we aren't known or or is it when we can't know? Spin those feet and arc circles across a glass pond and ripples reverberate through my limbs and I grow into a tree sprouting limbs and leaves the colors of the sun and earth and the moon smiles while it sways with me wrapped in clouds of fashol a fancy snuggie giving hugs to me and we be free harvest and fields and the sweat of the toil and the time we return things to the soil we plant and cultivate but all energy we have known comes from the sun the sun feeds and powers in excess, kryptonite, human flight. The invention of ingenuity is congruently obtuse. My mind is the vanity of success and self. Self-success, self-esteem, and self-dreams are what we make, what we take from the world and build for ourselves out of our own understanding. Slight rewind, even though time doesn't stand still, even when we beg in hindsight. They say it's 2020 and it feels so clear when we look to the past, but it doesn't last and we can't control how fast it is. Its own thing, its own thing, and we are. Um, it's its own thing, and we are our own. Although not independent from the flow of time, we are not the proprietors of time's effects on the events that take place in it. We just have to go. Standing still to understand something in perpetual motion is an ex- exercise in self-defeat. It's expensive pageantry we can't afford, but seem to desire or require as we perspire about the undulations of sound waves we use to report our positions. But we are never really at one place or ever have one face. There are vectors and living points, but we get waylaid trying to define things in the context of one point in time. Maybe it's a safety or security and fe- maybe it's a safety or security and feeling the hurrying of adding a label to a moment or an idea of the feeling and locking them in assignment to each other as if we have tamed or conquered them into our control and bent them to our will, but we can't we go don't we know that we go it's a show about how we grow Bah, and then period and then i guess i ran out of energy (laughs) but yeah i think yeah yeah that's an example of my pre uh uh writing where i just start writing and whatever fucking jumbled messes in my head ends up on a piece of paper So this one I titled it, 
Caitlyn Jenner and the Crustaceous Tertiary Boundary, or the KT Boundary. Uh, if you don't know what the KT Boundary is, go look it up. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's kind of one of the things they use to determine how, like, how the dinosaurs went extinct and where the meteor what hit. <coughs> Anyways. Carry on. Uh, I keep hearing about what a hero Caitlyn Jenner is. For what? Escaping the discomfort of being a rich white woman that lived most of her life in the body of a rich world record setting male athlete? Seems like in that situation, the only qualification for being a hero is being famous. It's as if uh, spectacle has been made the equivalent of spectacular. Caitlyn is living her life as she sees fit and as she feels she should. That does not seem spectacular to me. I feel like spectacular should be defined by the restrictiveness slash struggle slash sacrifice slash discipline or fortitude slash etc. required to acquire something. Being a gold medal Olympian, that seems spectacular. Of all the people in the world that were trying to be that one thing, only one person accomplished it. Spectacular. Even silver and bronze, spectacular. Putting in the work to even compete at that level, spectacular. Doing the exact same thing that countless numbers of people are doing, but with more resources and a platform to express it? Spectacle. To me, it seems as though she found a way to cultivate social benefits from eliciting pity derived from the narrative built on the struggles of other transgender people. I'm in no way trying to quantify or minimize her struggles. I don't doubt that even with every advantage in the modern world, she has and does struggle against ideas and beliefs that are resistant to or outright combative against her identity. I think that's kind of where I got started on this series of thoughts. Identity. When I take the time to think about it, 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 is, it's, it is a strange concept to me. At this time, I say that identity is a concept. Identities are what we as people use to establish or indicate who or what someone or something is. Even that doesn't seem like a completely accurate or complete definition. Uh, identities are really only explanations or indications of our perceptions. It would seem that as our understanding and experiences increase, so would the indications and perceptions on which we base the levels we use as identifiers, or base the labels we use as identifiers. As a person who has learned multiple languages, I can say that it has been my experience that I understood what a person was conveying before I understood what the actual words were in that language. Language does not make a thing what it is, but we, as people, seem to be intent on limiting everything we know to the words we use to describe them. I find that often it feels like we've all agreed on running towards a goal or standard that we are also fighting to keep from being overcome by. Like a life spent making a spectacle of drawing tally marks so that, we, so that we'll be able to count them at the end and say, Look, I did it. Congratulate me for this collection of lines I drew on the wall. These are the sum of my being. It seems like the concept I of identity has become so intertwined with how we value ourselves and other people that we have created a phenomena where language-based identity has been giving physical properties. As creatures that seem to be largely unaware of emotional impacts on others, except, for, except from our own external point of views that are dependent on our own internal processes or obstacles, are we sufficient... Are we sufficiently equipped to safely saddle each other with these static identities? 
So far, so far as it doesn't cause actual harm, why should it matter to a, to one person how another person perceives or understands themselves? I say actual harm because it seems that some people are so committed to their static identity that they express themselves in ways that indicate they have been physically harmed or threatened when they have really only felt discomfort about an idea or perception. That's another thing I constantly find myself evaluating about myself. When I feel angry, I try to make the point of telling myself, I feel angry about that, or I felt angry when that happened, as opposed to someone or something did that to me. Like, oh, how dare they do that angry to me? I think it's too easily built into the ink into the English that is spoken in American culture that someone or something is always the cause of our discomfort, which is socially accepted as someone has committed a specific act against us. Something as simple as, they made me angry when they called me stupid. They made me angry? By what process did they create or generate anger inside of me? By calling me stupid? The word, the word stupid is only a series of sounds. It's not a a magical spell, it's not an, an element or a collection of physical properties. It's the representation of an idea-based identity. Is it accurate? Maybe. Maybe more than maybe. But is the word stupid physically capable of interacting with my body? No. Not until it has entered my ears, been transferred into, transformed into electrical signals, that are transmitted to my brain and then interpreted and evaluated by the ideas developed and maintained by my knowledge based on my perceptions and experiences. The word stupid doesn't make me angry. I decide to get angry at having heard it and identified with it. I'm aware that this process is taking place in such a high rate of time that initially it seems as though it's happening without my agency. But once I become cognizant of this process, it was it was my responsibility. Uh, once I became cognizant of this process, it was my responsibility to acknowledge my role in it. Oof, excuse me. Uh, 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 I'm not saying that people should no longer get angry or react angrily, or that I I never get angry. I'm just saying that I have found a significant and positive difference in the way I interact with people. Now that I work at forcing myself to acknowledge my own accountability for my emotions. It goes, my thoughts, my body, my behavior. Or from, from my thoughts to my body to my behavior, in that order. My anger is a reaction to my thoughts, and it is possible to control my behavior regardless of what I am feeling in my body based on those thoughts. My actions and reactions start within me. And although uncomfortable, they are my responsibility to manage, not somebody else's. I'm, I'm really starting to believe that life is not about being comfortable. Life is about living. Do I enjoy being comfortable? Of course. If there are times in my life in which I am comfortable, cheers. But once I die, all that comfort really means nothing. It means nothing because I'm not alive anymore to appreciate it. Comfort really only means anything in the context of it being experienced. Especially after my time in the Marines, I have found that most times it takes more work to try and make something easy or comfortable than it does to just get it done. Mission accomplishment should, should really be the goal, not thought exercises based on identifying goals that are about making comfort the mission. Once I've made comfort my pursuit, 
I diminish the value of any state of my most present existence and subsequently create a dynamic where no other state of existence has value. My pursuit, com my pursuit of comfort becomes all-consuming. It consumes my definitions of perception and only leaves ideas of empty space. My pursuit of comfort makes space for a hunger that only recognizes what I feel isn't there, driving the momentum of that original pursuit of comfort. If I'm not comfortable with who I feel people see me as, are they wrong? If, if I'm not comfortable with who I feel I see myself as, am I wrong? Are we, oh, are we as the creatures we have identified as people physically bi slash biologically slash philo philosophically slash emotionally slash etc. able to comprehend any planes of existence or the manners in which existence is? Have we determined ourselves to be so much more aware than the other animals that we can only understand ourselves in the context that we have constructed? seems to me that we craft our languages to only accept the idea that people are completely separate from all other things. We have created our own identity, which has forked into multiple passive identities. Our explanations of those forks have become labeled road signs that have developed into culturally based identifiers of roles and values. Uh, just as wild as the ideas we have built around what we see when we look at another person. Uh, yeah, just as wild as these ideas that we have built around what we see when we look at another person is the physical process of looking at another person. When we look at people with our eyes, we're seeing them in the past. What we are seeing is what light reflecting off them was in the fraction of a light year it takes for the light to bounce off them and travel to our retinas and be processed by our brains. So if light travels at 299,792,458 meters per second and a nanosecond is a billionth of a second, light travels about 0.3 meters or about 0.98 feet per nanosecond. To me that says that when I'm having a conversation with someone that is four feet away from me, light is bouncing off of them, traveling to my eyes in about four nanoseconds. Without considering the time or process involved in those light beams being received by my eyes and translated and transmitted to my brain, just consider that everything I'm seeing of that person is really just beams of light from four nanoseconds in the past. Everything I'm seeing of that person is really just beams of light from four nanoseconds in the past. Are you thinking that four nanoseconds is such an insignificant amount of time that, that it's a waste of time to consider? All right, then consider the consider this. The furthest thing we can see with the unaided eye is the Andromeda galaxy, which is 2.5 million light years distance from where we are aiming our little our, our little peepers at it. If there are 5.8 5.88 trillion miles in a light year, that's um I don't know. It's 2.5 million multiplied by 5.88 trillion <laughs> miles away. I can't even comprehend that uh, distance in miles, but even more mind-bending is the simpler way of, of looking at it. The light that is touching our eyes right now, coming from the Andromeda galaxy, is 2.5 million years old. It was created 2.5 million years ago and is just now touching us. Thinking of 
thinking of the things that have happened on Earth in 2.5 million years, and then consider the possibilities of what has taken place at the source of that light during that time. Could we say the possibilities are infinite and beyond? Oof. Buzz, buzz, but fucking light year to the rescue because my brain exploded. And boom, we're at an hour. So, I'm going to call it quits. <sighs> so, yeah, as always, fuck you. Later.